Hey, hello. Before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's good for us. It's good for you. It's good for prospective listeners. Wow. Thanks, Madeline. Mm-hmm. Also, this episode was requested by multiple people. Yeah. And the more reviews we get, the more requests we get, the more we can combine the Dragon Maybe's hive mind and talk about all the books that have been lurking in all our collective consciousnesses for 20 plus years. Yeah. So yeah, don't you want to be a part of that? Okay, thanks. And now the episode. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. Oh, that was a kind of melancholy one. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, The Thief by Megan Whalen Turner. This is a request not from one, not from two, but from three different listeners. They are Aaron, Madeline, and Donley. Thank Go, you so Aaron, much. Madeline, and Donley. We really appreciate it. Um, and we were very, very happy to read this book, I can at least say. It was great from my own perspective. It was a, a romp. Uh, such a romp. I really needed a romp right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly good. what I got. So this book was released in 1996, and it, was, it I think, was a runner-up for the Newbery Medal. It says Newbery Honor on it. Newbery Honor, right, which means it's a runner-up. It's been a while since I read a Newbery book. I know, and we've talked about this before when we've covered others, but there's just something so thrilling when you're young about reading one. I feel it made me feel really cultured. To me, it was like the equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize, and it, you know, every book I read that had the big shiny medal mm. stamped on the front made me feel like I was truly enriching my young mind. Maybe that's just me being. I a had jerk. a totally different. I had a totally different perspective on Newbery books. I, I'm not going to be able to verbalize it excellently, but I felt patronized by the <laughs> Newberry Medal and Newberry Honors badges <laughs> on books. I because I was like, well, what? I want to read this book because it's a good book. You don't adults don't need to tell me that it's a book that's good for children. Like oh my God. leave me alone. I feel like this is really bringing out some of the anger that you had as a youth. <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. And it was funny because I, when I noticed it was a Newbery book on the cover, I made it made me think about that and how that used to just really tick me off when it had a Newbery badge on it. But this time I was just like, oh, interesting. I've grown. Yeah, <laughs> since I, don't I was resent a small child, being told that something is valuable. <laughs> so as always, we are going to thoroughly spoil the plot of the book in this episode. And this is a book that has a pretty big twist in it. So I would say if you haven't read it for a while and don't really remember much about it, you should read it first or haven't read it before. Yeah, definitely go check it out. And then because the come twist right back, we'll be here. Yeah, the twist is definitely worth preserving for your read through. What we like to do is start with a quick marketing breakdown, just discuss how the publisher chose to package and present this book to lure in possible readers. We've got a uh, charismatic Jesus on the cover of this one. We really do. <laughs> for those not familiar with the um, the charismatic Jesus. Yeah, for a second yeah. I wanted to call him enigmatic Jesus, but that's a different Jesus. 
It's a portrait that was very popular in Catholic schools yeah. when we were growing up, which we attended. Um, and it's, it's supposed to be like a chill looking, relatable Jesus. Yeah, kind of a slightly more modern looking Jesus. But he's very handsome and he's looking at you with a lot of flogging in his eyes and it's just kind of uncomfortable. That's weird. My mom taught at a Catholic school for a couple of years recently and she had a charismatic Jesus in a room because all the rooms just came with charismatic Jesuses. And why, I remember why would you looking have a room at without it a charismatic and Jesus? being like, this is kind of a weird picture. <laughs> well, what we have on the cover... It's more of a sad charismatic book Jesus. Is, yeah, a mournful Jesus. But... This is the picture of, this is, this is what I forgot to look up, the pronunciation of the goddess. The great goddess? Yeah, right? This Earth? Is, it, isn't this her on the throne in the room inside the oh. maze? Because who else? I thought maybe I mean, let's, it would let's be... Let's discuss. Who is this person? I, <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. I, I was so just like, I had no idea. I didn't even think about it because I couldn't, I didn't go down that train of thought First at all. First of all, there... I thought maybe it was his his cousin, the queen. But her hair's short. They say her hair's so yeah, short right, and right. curled that you can't even see her crown. It's a maybe bit it's, confusing. Maybe it's Hephaestia. Hephaestia, yeah, that's what that's what I thought could be possible as well. Um, our our edition that we're that we were reading is is just from the as always the Seattle Public Library has not let us down and we do not have a book that we should have had. Um, Shout out Seattle Public Library. This uh, it's the Green Willow Books edition from. Ninety six, I think. Oh, that's yeah, a cool book. It was nice to read a hardcover with that weight. Yeah, from ninety six. Um, so this is this is an old edition. Um, Grace, you're right. It probably is the Great Goddess. Yeah, there's there's an androgynous person wearing a gold circlet, sitting on a throne with a red robe and shoulder length flowing brown hair oh wait what about moira do you think it's moira but moira doesn't who wears the red robe the both of the queens wear red robes okay so the great goddess wears a red robe yeah okay we think it's the great goddess i don't yeah. know <laughs> i think it's it's probably because that would make the most sense i like this cover design even right, though it it's is really perplexing. cool um, i just didn't it's really compelling yeah i just didn't know what it what it is so we have in an interesting font. Um, the thief, writ large across the top. Yeah, it is a weird. Got the font. Newbury Honor Medal. It's just like a little more modern than I would usually expect. It's um, that triangle dot over the. It eye has a that triangle really eye dot. Yeah, yeah, it's odd. Um, and Megan Whelan Turner's name and the Newbury Honor Medal stamped proudly. Stop looking at me. Here to infuriate little medals <laughs> everywhere. It's like um, the eye of Sauron. I like how I'm going to use enigmatic again, even though I already said it about Jesus. Um, I like how enigmatic this cover is. It is mysterious. It does deliver some of the uncertainty that's present throughout this book. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And just the general confusion. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. Um, on the back, we just have a, a list of a different one of Megan 
Waylon Turner's it's books. It's just praise for a for different, different book. book. So I'm not going to read it. But that. on the cover, on the inside book jacket, there mm-hmm. is a summary. Nothing is overdone and not a word is out of place in this auspicious debut, wrote Kirkus in a starred review of Instead of Three Wishes. <laughs> it's also about her other book. Why are they hyping the other books so Because it's her second book, so I'm sure they're trying to build off of the but this is for the first one. Okay, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but like... All right, let me let me do this real quick. The King's Scholar, the Magus, gonna struggle with that pronunciation, so apologies in advance, believes he knows the site of an ancient treasure. To attain it for his king, he needs a skillful thief, and he selects Jen from the king's prison. The Magus is interested only in the thief's abilities. What Jen is interested in is anyone's guess. Their journey toward the treasure is both dangerous and difficult, lightened only imperceptibly by the tales they tell of the old gods and goddesses. Megan Whalen Turner weaves Jen's stories and Jen's story together with style and verve in a novel that is filled with intrigue, adventure, and suspense. And verve. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I just like that word. Um, yeah, I think that that description is appropriate this mm-hmm. is a book where you don't want to give too much yeah. of the plot away no actually that's perfect because you really don't you don't even find out what they're going to get until like halfway through the book so don't find out what they're going to get don't find out who jen is don't find out the, you don't like, find out larger, who jen is until the last 10 pages yeah, until the very end um just like a lot of the larger imaginations that are driving the plot forward um and i really enjoyed it we'll talk about that though yeah so, Madeline, would you like to give a general summary of the book's plot for anyone who's a little foggy on the details? Spoilies ahead. Be warned. Okay, Jen is a thief. He is in the king's prison in Sunis, and that's where it starts out. He's in the prison. It's not fun. He's dirty. He's not allowed out. He's in prison because he was in a wine shop, which I is a bar, I assume, where they have wine. And not important. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's in prison because he bragged to everyone in the wine shop about how he was going to steal this. It was a signet ring, right? The king's seal. Yeah. The king's seal from... Um, the Magus, and then he did it, and then he went straight back to the wine shop and was like, behold, and then he, oh no, he was arrested and thrown into the prison. And we're, we take that at face value for almost the entire book. So we're just like, okay, so he might be a good thief, but he's also an idiot. Yeah, it lays out a really interesting character for him mm-hmm. because we also don't get to really see his skills in action until, until way end. further on in the book. So yeah. we're wondering to ourselves, like, do they have the right guy? Yeah, like, is he like, actually is he good just at a madman? Or is he just kind of like a yeah, a drunk? Because he, we don't well, go ahead. We'll talk more Thank about you. this. Yeah. Grace. Thank you. So, Shut up. <laughs> the Magus pulls him out of prison because he did manage to seal to steal the seal. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, you know, a, a mighty feat. And you do also get sprinkled uh, hints about him, like, just hanging out in the palace because he can get past anything. So mm-hmm. you, do, you do know that he at least has some pretty good thief chops. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Magus pulls him out of jail because the king of Sunes, which is the kingdom where they are, there's three kingdoms at play, Atolia, Edis, and Sunis, and there's intrigue. 
and <laughs> intrigue, intrigue, I'm, intrigue, verb, verb, verb. Yeah, I'm trying not to like go down each rabbit hole. And so the Magus pulls him out of jail. He's like, "You, you're gonna help me do a thing, and that way you don't have to go back to jail." And Jen is like, "Yeah, anything's better than jail." So he takes him on this mission along. The Magus does along with the Magus's apprentices. Uh, the uselesses, Sophos and Ambiades. And Ambiades. I'm just going to pronounce them that okay, way. I'm that's sorry. Because otherwise I'll be we're all just, over the we're map. We're going off of written pronunciations from the audiobook. So there's probably some bits and pieces lost along the way anyway. Okay, they go, they're on the mission. And it's... And Paul is there too. Paul. <laughs> it just sounds so funny because it makes it sound like his name is Paul. P-A-U-L. Like, I'm Paul. <laughs> It's like the <laughs> shout out to our last episode, the Dark Lord of Darkholm, where all the Griffins have these wonderful names, and then Don, Don, yeah, fifth Griffin. Okay, um, Ambiades is a jerk. He sucks. Like, and Jen does make a lot of efforts to understand where Ambiades is coming from, which is nice of Jen. But I mean, he's just a jerk, and he's a traitorous jerk. You find out towards the end that he was actually a spy for Atolia. Um, again, one of the three warring kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they're on this mission. Paul is there too. You do get some hints of Jen showing good thievery skills again, but you don't really get it until he's actually in the uh, maze. Like, oh yeah, he stole where this, he sent. stole this, he stole yeah. this. Of just, exactly. you know. He goes through it. There's a great scene where he goes through his pockets. What's in his pockets. And it lists specific objects from every inn that they've been at. Like mm-hmm. every that opportunity he's that he's had. Yeah, we just didn't yeah. get any of that. Yeah, so he's a good thief. Uh, you find out along the way that what Jen has been sprung to steal by the Magus, Magus is... The gift. Hamayathi's gift. Mm-hmm. And that is, there's a lot of lore and mythology woven in here, but essentially it's this ancient, supposed by many to be mythological artifact. It's like a sapphire trapped inside of a, a light stone, like a pumice stone maybe, um, that has been passed down in Edis from ruler to ruler, and it was like a signifier from the gods that that person is supposed to be the ruler. So they get to, they they travel, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of scuffs along the way. Um, Jen gets blamed for everything bad, but he Mm -hmm. doesn't actually really do anything bad. It's all... There's a salmon golem, where did the Lembus go situation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Grumps on his jackets. <laughs> I wish that line were in this book, but sadly, no. Okay, so, and finally, the Magus gets them all to the place where this uh, Hamayathes' gift is supposed to be. So, he's like, Jen, go in there, get that, that stone. And Jen finds out that he has three nights in which to do that, and... Uh, at the end of each night, the maze where he's supposed to go look for the stone will fill back up with the river. Mm-hmm. And that's why he only has three nights out of the entire year during which to do that. I think there was like five nights or four nights, but they don't get there until he has three nights left. So he goes into the maze um, and the first two nights just has a really bad time, doesn't find much of anything except 
bones <laughs> and lots of obsidian. Um, on the third night, he does figure it out. Um, he cracks this giant piece of obsidian that turns out to be a door and finds these statues of spirits, some kind of... Godly manifestations. Yeah, like god golems mm-hmm. that are... Yeah, manifestations of the pantheon of gods. Up to this point, Jen had not been a believer in the gods. Uh, That changes pretty fast because they're all up there. (laughs) And talking to him. Yeah, (laughs) and the stone is there. The great goddess, who we think is probably um, the lady on On the the person, the figure on the cover. Uh, And he takes the stone and he runs out and then gives it to the magus. And the magus is happy because he no longer thinks that's the king of Sunnis or just Sunnis, I guess that's his name, is going to kill all of them. Um, so that's cool. But then on the way back, they're going through Atolia and they get jumped by a bunch of guards, the queen's guard, the queen of Atolia. Uh, there's a scuffle in the ensuing scuffle, Amythi's gift, it's no longer around the neck of the Magus. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh my gosh, it fell in the river. This is so stupid. <laughs> a little editorializing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's more scuffling, and they're trying to get out. And then you find out that Ambiades is a traitor, and he's told Atolia's guard the whole time where they're at, um, they all end up in Atolia's dungeon, and by all of them, I mean Sophos, Sophos, um, the Magus, and <laughs> oh my God, we've yeah, sorry everyone, we're really gonna be all over with the pronunciation. And by all of them, I mean Sophos, the Magus, and Jen, because Paul and Ambiades are kaput. They die. Yes, Paul actually pushed Ambiades over a cliff, which I'm happy about. He was just a great like, final moment. Done. For any character, <laughs> you yeah. die. I'm finished with you. Yeah. Um, and Jen springs them from the dungeons after the Queen of Atolia tries to get him to be her thief. Uh, there is an, a great line it, when they're in the prison, and Jen says he's struggling because he doesn't want the Magus to feel the hard bump in his hair. Because uh, he's hiding something in there. So they're running. And a- it's played off in that moment to the readers, too, as if it's like a wound almost. Oh, I, I knew right away. Well, yeah, but I was impressed by that, too. I think Megan Whalen Turner was very okay. deft with If I had read that as a kid, I wouldn't have realized what was right, going on. Really subtle foreshadowing, yeah. but like the clues are there mm-hmm. if you're reading carefully. Enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, right away, I was like, Something's going on. Because I had been paying attention to the Twist is coming. He asked for two pieces of two thongs and he used one mm. to bind his hair. And saved the and other said, for save later. the other one for later. And I was like, hmm. And there's a hole drilled through the stone. So yeah. like, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe he has it. So Jen springs them and they run right into a bunch of Edis's soldiers. And then the twist. The other twist, besides Ambiades being a jerk and a traitor. Well, the, him being a jerk is not a twist. He's a jerk the whole time. He's a traitor. That's the twist. So then they get brought to the Queen of Eddies, and Jen pulls out the stone and is like, here you go, my queen. And everyone's like, what? What? <laughs> and uh, it turns out that all along, Jen has been the queen's thief for 
Eddie's, the mm-hmm. Queen of Eddie's, and he got himself put in the dungeon on purpose. That's why he was being so stupid. Well, to the casual observer, seemingly stupid. Yeah. But he actually did that on purpose because he wanted to be able to find Hamayathis' gift because he wanted the king of Sunnis not to get it and force Eddie's to marry him with it. And he wanted to return into its rightful yes. owner. And then at the end, and he's been pretending the whole book to not be an aristocrat, right? And not be right. educated. Yeah, um, he's been purposefully like using slang and like running all his words together and just trying to seem like a total fool to everyone, yeah, including to the reader. We, we no, don't know totally. Any of that. And allowing these dudes, except for Sophos, to be like total pompous assholes to him. And Paul, Paul's just there on a job. Yeah, so by these dudes, best. I mean the Magus and NBA days are just being jerks to mm-hmm. him and like talking down to him so much. And that's part of the reason why at the end it's really great. And NBA days is dead. <laughs> really a lot of venom. I was so, he just seems like a total like men's rights activist. <laughs> you heard it here first. Ideas <laughs> is an MRA. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great summary. Are you finished? And then at the end, Eddie's is like, cool, I'm going to throw this in a volcano. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, right, I understand, but I was also like, really? (laughs) A lot of work. Um, It's it's also the one ring effect, you know? Yeah. We got it. Now we can finally get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... uh, Eddie's will probably marry Sophos once he grows up a little more because it turns out that he is uh, Sunis' yeah. heir. Mm-hmm. And if you got to marry one of them, it's going to be Sophos. Amazingly, some of the most important people in these kingdoms were sent on this incredibly perilous journey yeah. from which no one else has ever returned yeah. um, or been heard from again. But mm-hmm. uh, that's what it took to pull it off. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's, I, I'm proud summary. of that summary. Yeah, yeah I think you did a really you. good job. I read the entire book last night, so that's probably why it's a better summary Gosh. than I usually give. Yeah. So I think this will be a quick segment this episode, but let's cover our old and new impressions of this book. Okay. Um, typically, one or both of us has read the book that we cover. Have you read this book? I have not. Yeah, me neither. No. Um, we both thought that we had when we were younger. I still have yet to figure out the book I was conflating it with. I was thinking of a book that's a... Uh, um, It's kind of an Aladdin retelling. Or, or um, it it has. I mean, I know that Aladdin is only the Disneyfication of a a story, from. a ton of stories from Arab culture and mythology. So, and specifically from the Thousand and One yeah. Nights, mm-hmm. Shahrazad. I was thinking of a book that I've read that is that, yeah, which is a great book, but I can't remember the name of it. I even got mom to read it. I yeah, it, it's. It's very interesting and also frustrating when even through like all the work we do at this podcast to try to kind of isolate and discuss and um, just focus on different book related memories from when we were younger. Mm. It's frustrating when I hit a wall and I'm like, I don't know what I'm thinking of. I may never 
figure it out. I may never find it. And this is why um, at the time that we grew up, it was just so hard to have those reading gaps because we didn't have the internet. And we only had what we could figure out from the library, from the bookstore, and then from our limited social (laughs) interactions with people outside of our family. Thanks, Grace, for pointing out how cool we were. But whatever, whatever. listening knows. Embrace embrace the introversion in yourself. Yeah. yeah. And because of that introversion, now we do have all these wonderful book-related memories that I wouldn't trade for anything. Not for a million cool ice cream trips to the park with all my imaginary friends. I would just get ice cream by myself and then not have to deal with the stress of talking to a million people for hours. No, exactly. But I still do that quite often, actually. Nonetheless, I'm really, really happy that Madeline, Aaron, and Donley requested that we read this um, because I think there's so many um, underpinnings of other books that I love and just components of this that really fascinate me and I feel like it really resonates with a lot of other stories that we've covered. This would make an amazing video game. I really want to um, read the rest of the series because there are five total. The last one was published in 2017. Um, Do they have the same or some of the same characters? Yeah, as far as I understand um i like i said i haven't read any any of them and this book was my first exposure to these kingdoms and to the series Um, this was the first one though Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense because you can totally feel that she is setting up lore for Mm -hmm. because i mean this is a short book and there's but we still get such an expansive world created yeah we get the full mythology um behind the old gods Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason why there is this duality and some people believe in the earth god and some and the earth goddess and some in the sky god yeah um and then also just how different political conflicts have risen from religious mm-hmm. underpinnings in, in their yeah. history. Um, yeah, the other sequels are The Queen of Atolia, The King of Atolia, A Conspiracy of Kings, and Thickest Thieves. So, sounds pretty fun. I'm excited yeah, to read them. Like fun books. And if they're short, fast, Have fun it. reads like this, I can, yeah, we can, should be able to get through them pretty quick. But... Um, yeah, I just, I really, really enjoyed reading this. I think that it's it also really enjoyable. valuable for us to have books we cover that we didn't read when young because then we're evaluating YA books from a purely adult perspective without having any emotional attachment exactly. to them. So we're impartial yeah. readers. And I mean, people who listen to this, I'm sure that you're not listening being like, you only like these because you liked them when you were a kid. No. Like, why would we, you? We're all on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... But, it but it's is, interesting to come at it from that perspective. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a purely adult perspective, divorced of any emotional connection, this is a really well-written book. Mm. It's just finely crafted. Um, yeah, it's, it's and, literature. And it's so easy to have an unreliable narrator and get irritated with them and feel like, you're not telling me everything and then ultimately get irritated with the author and be like, why should I keep reading this book? Like, I feel like I'm being tricked mm. and someone's, this is me being a little angry Madeline now. <laughs> There's a little angry Madeline in all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Shaking their fist at the authorities. <laughs> People trying to tell them what's what. Making um, them drink their milk and not eat hot dogs for every meal. A lot of truth in that last <laughs> statement, I can verify. Um, 
but that that really doesn't happen here because first of all we get third person omniscient narration that's focused on Jen um and it's through his the story is seen through his perspective um but he's a really likable character yeah and there are moments where we're granted access to his true thoughts and feelings um and especially once you realize that he is educated i think that's probably the first tell that he is someone who's different than like an anonymous poorly trained thief who was just in the king's prison yeah um as soon as you start realizing that and then we get to hear his stories of the gods um Mm -hmm. and uh just like we get a lot of fun depth from him um and little humorous asides, like wondering if Sophos has extra blood in his head so that he can blush more quickly. <laughs> or how he calls Enviades and Sophos useless the elder and useless the younger. Yeah, it's, it's really great. great. It's really fun being on this journey with him. Um, and he actually he shouts that at the Vegas, <laughs> like right before Enviades dies. Yeah, he's like, why did you bring useless the elder and his younger brother on this trip, you dumb... <laughs> Oh, um, and then Abia Days is like, well, I'm not useless, and so forth is my brother. <laughs> and I also think that as you're reading the book, there are moments that feel like, okay, why is this happening right now? Yep. This is ridiculous. But then but everything makes... But there's a tinge makes, yeah. of, okay, it, it's actually... There's a larger picture. It's there's really cool. It's yeah. so well written it's because really I totally well got that both that twinge of like, why it's, why that's dumb. And then, but also subconsciously almost without even realizing Mm -hmm. it, knowing that there's a bigger story Mm -hmm. and that's, and that's why when you find out when everything clicks into place, instead of being like, what you're like, Oh, it feels right. And this book incepts you. It does. And it, ma- it makes the reading experience much more immersive because then it's like you are truly someone in this kingdom who this story is happening to as mm. opposed to someone who's like looking down on everyone and you're all knowing and you have all the answers. Right, like, that's a good point. You're on the same journey. You are very among the these people. Yeah. yeah. That's I why really I really enjoy. I think this would make such a great game. Oh, totally. There's, I mean... It'd be a wonderful video game. I yeah. was already visualizing uh, Hyrule from Breath of the Wild for the majority oh, of the book because totally. Edis in particular, I think, looks like exactly like yeah. the mountainous, um, the foothills at the mountains, mm-hmm. not yeah. um, with all the trees the and the breezes and the little the little streams, chimey and, music. Yep, yeah. <laughs> I was fully uh, in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> reading this such a good game um and uh in addition to making me think of breath of the wild made me think of something which i know we've discussed zelda a lot but i don't think we've ever brought this up before but we were and remain really big fans of a series of nancy drew computer games by her interactive created by her interactive currently on it hiatus an endless hiatus um her interact if eddie her interactive employees are listening please please release the next game i have written to her interactive i'm not exaggerating trying to get some kind of idea of what's going on um there was a really sad article about their like basic demise um in kotaku that was published a few months ago so check that out if anyone else is interested but anyway 
These games are so appealing because you play as Nancy, but you can't, you never see yourself. Like everything is through your eyes. Mm-hmm. And if there's mirrors or anything, they're like blurred. Yeah. Or there's just like a dark shadow and the mirror is from it's an angle. Thrown over yeah. So you can't see yourself. Um, so you're really put into the role of lady detective. Um, and when Jen is in the maze and trying to find the entrance to whatever going back and forth night after night like clicking around a lot of memories (laughs) looking for a seam (laughs) yeah and staring over and over again like literally trying to see through the walls totally and everything just fitting together perfectly in the end i did and i had this moment um as soon as jen was feeling the obsidian Mm -hmm. i said out loud smash it (laughs) like i was like that's it. I was so certain before he even ventured further into the maze that that was where it was. And I was like, okay. it's because Nancy trained me. I, uh, Jen should have played because, as Nancy's. Especially because Megan Whalen Turner keeps mentioning the pry bar and like he loses it and he finds it again. He, he asks it for it specifically at the okay. start. I was like, that will be the tool that he will need to find the stone. Chekhov's gun. Yeah, exactly. That Chekhov's pry bar. Yeah. <laughs> a little less... <laughs> Glamorous song, but whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why this book is just so much fun because mm-hmm. you really are able to be your own detective and like be yeah. your own thief and try to figure it all out. It's really the way. cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, amazing book. Really enjoyed it. Um, I also like the use of an existing mythology, but. Megan Whalen Turner really putting her own stamp on it. Yeah. Um, and there are even some, like they say Oceanus, like, mm-hmm. or like Hephaestia is Hephaestus, the smith um, who is a god in the Greek and Roman pantheon. Uh, and then Hephaestia, well, she's not exactly the same kind of god, but it's literally almost the same name. And then Oceanus mm-hmm. is the name. Um Atolia is lifted straight from mm-hmm. uh, um, Greek. Sophos, you mm-hmm. said, is wise in Greek. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot that is taken straight from the lore. And then, yeah, it's got its own spin on it. There was a really interesting author's note um, at the end that said, uh, that commented not just on her use of Greece and Greek gods and words and concepts but also the anachronisms that are present in the Mm. book which i appreciated because there were things that were really weird like guns yeah used um well like like blunderbusses they call them guns but they they sound like totally ineffective or like ancient pistols or something yeah and just thinking about all these different components like they have watches, they have printed books, they have guns, and there was a plague like very yeah. recently. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels a little bit like, whoa, what's, what's uh, going on? Yeah, um, no, totally. But uh, the author's note at the end of the book says, nothing in this book is historically accurate, but I have taken bits and pieces out yeah, of the I history of Greece and fitted them into my story. The landscape that Jen travels through is very much like that of ancient Greece and like some parts of modern Greece as well. The gods he meets were never the gods of the Greek pantheon. I made them up. In the real world, the bubonic plague traveled from somewhere east of the Black Sea in 1342 across all of Europe, killing millions. Gunpowder began to be used in cannons as early as 1339. Johann Gutenberg began printing books using movable type in 1445, and the pocket watch was invented in 1500. So I really liked her. (laughs) 
I like um, that she put bringing that those in there. pieces together and yeah. yeah, and saying that. I really appreciate that. Like, yes, I know what I'm doing. It's intentional. <laughs> this well, is a fantasy story, you know? I really like that because a lot of times when you're reading books like this, you kind of think in your head like, oh, I should look that up so that I know mm-hmm. actually when that kind of stuff happened in the world. And it's, I really appreciate her just putting fact by fact. These in our world, this is when these inventions came and these mm-hmm. became conventions. So, totally. I appreciate that a lot. Nicely. Yeah. Um, Speaking because every authors live on this planet, everything they write is influenced by our culture, our, our history. Like, so there's always stuff like this. And if you read a lot of fantasy, it, it could actually do a number on your own. Uh, historical ideas about our world because yeah. you keep getting like scrambled versions over and yeah. over again. So mm-hmm. really, really good to return to the actual facts yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Escapism can go too far sometimes <laughs> and things can get confusing. Yeah. So speaking of this as a fantasy book, I think it's time to discuss our magical systems. Magic, segment. magic, 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 magic. <laughs> Because this is a different sort of fantasy. It's mythology based rather than like magic based. Yep. Um, The supernatural presence is one of gods that Mm -hmm. have a very active role in people's lives. Um, Mm -hmm. Specifically, I love that we get Jen being... um, like like an atheist, basically, I would say, because he also is pretty down on other people believing in the gods. He thinks it's foolish. Not that I'm saying this is how all atheists are, um, but, but he's that's he's, he's very, actively not believing. Yeah, as opposed mm-hmm. to being a skeptic or like, yeah, I don't know who to put my stock in. Really, he, mm-hmm. he is against the existence of the gods. Um, and then almost to spite him, it kind of seems like the gods are like. What if you met all of us? <laughs> what if you now believe in us because you literally met us and, and we follow you around and pop up in your dreams? Yeah. And he had done sort of symbolic gifts to Eugenides um, mm-hmm. previously, like as he was growing up. Because it, it was part of his job yeah, and he his would culture. Give and earrings that he stole from nobles to Eugenides, uh, yeah. to his temple. Um, but it is really fascinating throughout the story as they travel across first Sunis and then Edis and then Atolia to see the different versions of temples that people have built. I really like that there's the miniature temple that's really out of the way mm-hmm. um, and just kind of in a hill. Uh, and then you have something like the marvel of craftsmanship that is the puzzle maze that mm-hmm. is meant to keep the stone in this is also something that is a really funny component of the nancy drew games because inevitably there's always a chamber like that and, in and every you game, have you're to like, do it super fast or you'll get trapped or yeah. mummified or something it's not a river rushing down on you yet but maybe yeah. maybe there should be a thief inspired it felt nancy so game. much like a nancy game um but also in every game you're left wondering like who is the genius workman who created this and then carefully dropped clues across the mansion or the town or whatever. Yeah, no, so totally, you would be yeah. able to Who like has all it. these like weird sliding puzzle games in order to open jewelry boxes and saves and yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I do just feel like if I made a beautiful jewelry box, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. But this person is like, now let's put a sliding puzzle, put a puzzle on, on a phoenix on it. <laughs> 
Um, I'm so bad at sliding puzzles. In real life, I've never, ever, ever solved one. They're horrible. I've literally, I used to pry out the little bricks and then you can't get them back in. So I would just throw it away. (laughs) Why were you interacting with them? You know, I liked grabbing stuff from like prize baskets and stuff that I get a little way that's like it's thanksgiving time so it's a turkey sliding puzzle and i'd be like into I'm the garbage destroy, <laughs> destroy this turkey <laughs> that's fun yeah. this is childhood i destroyed some rubik's cubes too <laughs> <laughs> which are uh more difficult to put back together <laughs> wow angry little madeline yet again um yeah, but but I just appreciated everything that was being done in service to the gods and also mm-hmm. how because of Jen's experience, they basically um, through him, they basically have like a revival of belief in the gods because I know that his actions are going to have like ramifications moving forward through this series and that that's going to have an impact on Eddie's and yeah. on the other kingdoms yeah. too. Um, something that, so yeah, there there is an explicit magic um there are jen's magical level thieving skills yeah he's uh like the he's fact that he definitely steals the stone um, from pickpocket level 100 <laughs> the fact that he steals the gift from around the magus's neck um it's pretty impressive really impressive and i'm sure if there hadn't been an attack he would have figured out some other way to do it and i really loved when he just like swoop like pooped up into the tree when those guys came i was like wow i wish i could do that when there was danger it'd be pretty incredible um yeah so so different sort of fantasy than most it's very set in like well it's interesting because it's set in a medieval feeling period but it's so obviously in the mediterranean as opposed to being in great britain somewhere well a lot of medieval stories feel or france because it was it felt medieval but also ancient Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but also modern in some other ways it was a really cool i like this world and that's again i want to keep reading this series and that's part of the magical element of it i think is it's kind of like a magical realism yeah totally i agree yeah to briefly just touch on it there there's not really like animals in this book to discuss horses um there's some horses they do not have personality yeah they're not really they are exchangeable they fish at one point the fish do not (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk more about that during pretend food yeah the fish are not their food not people let's just do pretend food right now why not pretend food it's always a good time it really is even when it's only about bread and olives (laughs) bread olives cheese Cheese. some dried jerky a lot of dried Um, jerky yeah Fish, a few fish, some chickens that are thieved. I don't know um, if they ever actually eat the chicken. A lot of oatmeal. gross bread. Garlic yogurt. Garlic yogurt. Uh, which actually, which, like, well, I could, that's I basically. I could see it. I mean, that's. It's Mediterranean. A tzatziki sauce, yeah. like, you mm-hmm. know, um, and a lot of different yogurt based Greek just sauces. Destroy me and everyone I love <laughs> if I ate. He said, like, garlic enough. Enough garlic to kill all the vampires in the kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that would mess me up. Um, I have stomach problems. And then oranges, which were also interesting to oh, me. Yeah. And I meant to look this up, but oranges aren't native to the Mediterranean region, correct? I am not an orange farmer, oh, but Grace. they they have 
They have citrus trees. They do. I'm Googling orange origin right now, which is a great tongue twister. Orange origin. Um, yeah, they're native to Asia. But this, you know, the like weird fake history in this book is late enough that they could have been um, brought from yeah. Asia and cultivated um, to yeah. grow in the Mediterranean at that point. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was just interesting to see citrus. Um but because they have plenty of olives, they don't need to worry about scurvy or other vitamin deficiencies um, from all the bread and cheese and jerky. Good um, point. Olives are really good for you. I I really thought the approach to food in this book was interesting because there just naturally couldn't be that much variety because mm-hmm. um, we've talked about this before. We have two main <laughs> categories for pretend food. There is questing food and there's feasting food. Yeah, <laughs> no, and this is all this questing, is questing food. food. Um, with you know, even though the inns provide like something a little bit more substantial, it's still basically the same stuff, which makes sense for a book that's so concerned or with talking about like the exports and imports of different regions right. and why they have the grains that they have. It's still and the cultivation of different fruit trees, food rather than like luxury food. Yeah, exactly. Um, but even though Megan Wayland Turner just has to take that approach because they're on this journey the entire time. Um, she talks about every single meal that they have. Like the way that the book is structured is such that it's like a diary. You know, we, mm. we get like every moment of every day in yeah. Jen's life. Um, mm-hmm. So when he's asleep, we know that he's asleep and then we know exactly what happens when he wakes up and how much time passes and what happens that afternoon. No, that's true. It's um, very like it follows them beat by beat. Yeah. And I thought that that was also a nice change from the really stifling, uncomfortable prison centric portion at the beginning yeah, of the that book was rough. where we don't have a great idea of how much time is passing or what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And it really does make you feel like you are trapped there yeah. <laughs> with him in the same way. Um, well, because they won't like let him out to do anything either because he, you know, he's a thief and they're like, well, he'll escape. And this is also a bit of a hungry book, which is always stressful. Well, he get yeah, for the first, like... And then also at different points in the journey when they just don't have enough food. Because, I mean, he's been in, literally, like, in solitary in a prison for months, so he's starved Yeah, when he comes out. And we watch his recuperation, which takes quite some time. Yes, there's a lot of washing he has to do. <laughs> a lot of washing. He has these horrible sores from the chains that he was wearing. Yeah. Um, he was chronically underfed. He was in the prison for what, like six months? Uh, yeah, definitely like months. Mm-hmm. It was a while. Um, and it's also very telling uh, just how crummy it is being a denizen of Sunus because as they're traveling and, you know, an innkeeper asks what happened to you, um, why are you so filthy and hungry? And Jen says, I was in prison. And she's like, oh, okay. My son is in prison. (laughs) My son's in prison too. Yeah. And Jen makes reference to the fact that like Sunnis will just throw people in prison if they like don't bribe the tax collectors and like yeah it's a bad place yeah which is definitely Sunnis um, is a bad king also a setup for the following books I oh. don't think that Sunnis is going to be around much longer um, I think Sophos will be a great king throne. I do too yeah. yeah he's a he's a sweetie <laughs> yeah and he's really kind he's very kind he and cares very a lot smart, about learning much more than violence. 
and which about is really different good. kingdoms. And I think he'll yeah be more compelled to understand the other peoples and not want to just um, invade mm-hmm. them. Yeah, which is a problem that this world has. Yeah, it's so striking and sad that there's this gorgeous kingdom at the top of the mountain range and it's their job to enforce peace because the kingdoms on either side want to invade the other, but Mm -hmm. they just won't let people through. Yeah, They have really strict rules about trade through their borders. Um, Yeah, and And then there's I totally understand why Sunus wants to force his way into that kingdom via means of blackmail marriage which is like coolest kind of marriage really yeah i don't um, like soonest at all and uh yeah the benefits he would gain from that so i mean jen does a really incredible thing in succeeding in completing this theft but clearly they, and they the, had a plan it was predetermined yeah just thankfully it was carried to fruition and the magus's goals weren't like noble mm-hmm. in and of themselves it's just that like what he was trying to do sucked because Magus is a weird character and this is what I wanted to say earlier um we he's the one part of the book that didn't fully um come full circle for me and everything didn't end up making perfect sense um because he is he's not a good person no. Um, he starts... He's serving to, the realm. He's serving the realm, and also he's been threatened with death if he doesn't complete this quest. Yeah. So, of course, you know, there are some there are some people who would still do their best to try to thwart the king and say, it's better to stop this horrible thing from happening than for me to preserve my life. And then there are people who would say, you know what? I, I'm just going to do it. I want to survive. I don't think I can outwit the king i can't mm-hmm. make my way out of this situation and i feel like he has moments when he's sometimes in the former camp a little bit um but really what makes everything okay in the end is just like a bureaucracy <laughs> just like the different surrounding kingdoms having to come to some kind of agreement literally because of where the stone is, where Jen is, where the Magus is. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, well, they're in Edis's borders, and that's the kingdom that's, like, well-meaning and uh, at least somewhat thoughtful compared to Atolia and Sunis. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just have to, like, do what they want to do. Um, but I'm, I'm sure the Magus has much more of a story to be told. He does, yeah. Um, I think that there because wasn't... Because we see him changing so much mm-hmm. over the course of the book. Yeah, no, it's In a true. way that you wouldn't expect from someone who's characteri- characterized the way he is at the yeah. beginning, um, where he's like, he is violent, um, he is like pretty hateful in a lot of ways. Um, he's really he's like classist. Super classist. Um, yeah, just awful to Jen. Um, and to be fair, it's clear that Jen is doing his absolute best to be as annoying as possible. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, you're um, right. And I do appreciate those, that he fits in as much rebellion <laughs> as he can. Yeah. Because even though he's, you know, trying to conceal his identity, he doesn't have, he doesn't have, he doesn't to, have to be a total, a like, obnoxious jerk. Like, chewing with his mouth open at every opportunity and constantly it's insulting everyone around quite him. quite a contrarian. Um, yeah, he's yeah. definitely having a good time yeah 
Um, so I did uh, appreciate that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't totally understand the Magus. Also, he clearly comes from a tragedy because his entire family died yeah. in the plague. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is from Atolia originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. And I wondered how, like in these kingdoms and the way they're set up, how can you change your citizenship and like loyalty to that extent where he could end up being one of the king's most trusted advisors in Sunus. Yeah, I was also surprised when it turned out that he was just like a, a farm dude. Yeah. Like he really improved his station a lot. And then yeah. for him to look down so much on people who apparently came from the same class as he did. like, But also... Because, and then it wasn't addressed. I mean, because of the nature of this book, maybe he is also carrying out a grand deception. But but it would have been explained. It's we- well, I don't know, but there's four more books. Okay, okay, and fair. And he... Maybe his is yet to come. It's really... I think it's really telling that he embraces Jen the way he does after he gets the stone, because even if he... You know, even if he's overcome by relief that this has happened, that they mm-hmm. were able to complete this impossible quest... The act of like hugging someone in like thanks, that's, I feel like that's not something that a fundamentally evil. No, yeah. And it's not. Or someone who like has been showing that I don't he know, maybe, really dislikes Jen the whole time. Maybe his, his whole deal really is that he's just trying to prevent war and do it in any way possible. And he. Yeah. Is yeah. genuinely like he's really But he's happy. also facilitating war by getting this, the gift. Because the king wants to marry into Edis so that he can invade Atolia. And unite the three kingdoms so that the Medes don't just totally yeah. stomp them into the dust. The Medes. The Medes. <laughs> we brought them up, but That's I'm sure they come, in, they come into play yeah. later in the series. But yeah, they're just like a vague threat at this point. Another kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I don't know. That's my ramble about the Magus. Complicated and we don't guy. even know his name. It's weird that he never has a name. Um, Yeah, no, you're right. Especially given the importance of names in this book and like all that Jen means and eugenities and like the connection to God. Maybe Magus, the the Magus, doesn't have a name just because he's so encapsulated. Like he is his role. He is the Mm -hmm. Magus. And that's what there is of him at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it'll change. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to keep reading, so I'll, I don't know, I'll check back in with you guys somehow. Maybe I'll do like a little solo mini episode where I just talk about my thoughts. Grace is really, yeah, you're going to read more. I've huh? been reading um, the Northern Lights books too. So. Oh, okay. Because you got them for Christmas, right? Renee gave them to you? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Renee. Hey, Renee. Hi, Renee. Thank you. Um, so I guess that ends Pretend Food. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> So let's discuss our badass ladies of the book. Um, Mm. This book has far fewer women in it than most of the books we cover. Um, Interestingly, uh, like none of the main characters are women, but a lot of the distant like authority forces of the realm are women. Yeah. (laughs) Which is... uh, Different. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. It kind of feels like the male 
characters, like the main characters in the book are like the underlings that are just yeah. serving the women who are all mm-hmm. in these more elevated positions. Like the, the most powerful God is, is a goddess. Mm-hmm. And we, when all the stories center around the earth who is female mm-hmm. as the creator of all things, yeah. she creates like the male counterpart because yeah. she creates the sky who is mm-hmm. then her like, jealous yeah, lover she is the first mm-hmm. she's the zeus only she yeah. doesn't suck zeus so sucks. it's the opposite of most mythologies that and like religious systems that, that we're mm-hmm. a part of or that we yeah. are and then hephaestia who kind of becomes like mm-hmm. another most powerful below the tier is mm-hmm. also oh, female yeah. And then um, we've got the queens, Atolia and Edis, and then Sunis, who's just tr- kind of booping around, being terrible. Yeah, he's awful. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Jen's mother is his most important figure to him. Mm-hmm. She died when he was young. And um, clearly he chose her, um, yeah. what he gained her from ideology her, what was passed down to him as life. opposed to yeah. his father. Mm-hmm. Um, who just gives him like grunts of approval, even yeah, after doesn't really this impossible quest that he completed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's also Mora, who I thought was really cool, who is the one... The who, messenger of the gods. Yeah. She's like the Hermes. Like, kind of tends to yeah. the communications between the two mm-hmm. worlds. Yeah. Um, and she is the one who... Was she the one in his dreams? Yeah. Yeah. She was, was the one in his m- dreams. Yeah. Moira, Moira. Sorry. Too many gods. Moira. Can't yeah. uh, keep it Yeah. There's straight. a pantheon. Definitely. Um, yeah. Quite, uh, quite literally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was intriguing. I really appreciated um, one of the email requests uh, for us to cover this book. Um, this is from Donley. Donley, I hope it's okay if I read a little snippet from your request. Um the badass ladies are not main characters in this book, but they do show up and are very badass. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, exactly. It's a great, succinct way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, are in control, like whether they're the gods or the queens. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really cool. And mm-hmm. I love that we get both a benevolent queen and an evil queen mm-hmm. all in one book. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so would you like to go first or should I? I'll go first. My baddest lady is Edis, who I drew a little picture of with Jen. Um, we can put Madeline's doodles up on our Instagram. No, totally. Yeah. They're not that great, but we, we're going to do that. Um, and my rating for her is a sapphire trapped in pumice that you throw in a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the best kind of <laughs> sapphire. <laughs> um, we'll say, sorry. You can't catch it through the mic, listeners. Or can you? My badass lady is also going to be the queen of Edis um, because she's a really compelling character. I'm excited to learn more about her. And you find out that she was like the one kind of pulling the strings. I mean, Jen made a lot of decisions on his own, but he was doing it all in service of her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm I'm certain that she formulated this plan um, and to have the foresight to be able to figure all this out is 
really impressive. Mm. Um, it must be complicated being a single queen on the yeah, throne sounds, of the kingdom. Sounds pretty rough. All these awful dudes and are trying to blackmail you into marrying yeah. them. It's just exhausting. Yeah. I am impressed by her being able to deal with all that. Um, and I really love, uh, I love the way her appearance is discussed because something that's interesting about this book is that we don't, we don't really know that much about what people look like. People look like. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, we get like a single kind of defining characteristic that is important for each of them, like Jen being uh, small or having long hair or having long yeah. hair mm-hmm. because those are important in to the plot. Yeah. Um, the two Queens we do get descriptions of, I think so that we can immediately see how they're um, like mirror images of one another, but one chose the route of, evil control Mm. and the other chose the route of kind of peaceful intimacy with her people yeah um and for this uh when when jen is describing um describing how she's been like squeezed into a weird dress because her dressers are trying to put her in fancy outfits and she clearly doesn't care and it's like i just yeah (laughs) just want to be comfy and be a queen yeah which i really like he says, um, my brother Timenis had broken her nose with a practice sword when they were 11 and the resulting bump had given her a comfortably settled plainness that was more attractive than all Atolia's beauty. But she didn't know that and often felt that she let her people down by not being more pretty. In her five-year reign, she'd won the loyalty and love of her subjects. They thought she was beautiful, I told her, and they would be just as happy to see her in a sack as in the elaborate costumes her dressers liked to bully her into. Just that paragraph is so much amazing characterization yeah. for this queen. Um, and uh, yeah. That's very descriptive. I look forward yeah. to spending time with her as well. Um, my rating for the Queen of Edis is as many thieves necessary to find all the lost artifacts that will allow her to remain queen. Forever. Forever. No, that's not good. <laughs> I really want someone to be queen forever. Now we're getting into like a Mayor Lewis situation. <laughs> How many video games can we reference in this episode? Stardew Valley? Anyone? <laughs> or Sir Topham Hat? Or Sir Topham Hat? I, I, oh. feel like, I feel like Mayor Lewis definitely has Sir Topham Hat vibes. I really don't like him. And I don't yeah, trust for him. For you Stardew Valley fans out there, does anyone like Lewis? <laughs> I'm curious. I've seen yeah. some posts on the subreddit that are like, I guess, Lewis yeah. was my first 10 heart. And I'm like, why? Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that brings this episode to a close. Um, thank you so much for listening for, for suggesting this yeah. book, Aaron, Madeline and Donley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Um, if you would like to request a book, please get in touch. Our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. Our Instagram is dragonbabiespodcast. Twitter, dragonbabiespod. You can also just shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can find some more folks to listen and interact with. Yeah. Okay, we'll be back soon with another beloved book, and we're excited to share it with you all. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.